Did you know that a man once jumped into a bulletproof window so much that he busted it out of the frame and fell to his death? I do. Hey, I'm Nicholas Howe, and I made an improvised comedy storytelling podcast about this death and many others. Using a multiverse of memes as the catalyst, I explore the various ways people have died. I also have special guests on and freak them out about how dangerous the world is. Did you know lakes can explode? You do now. Listen to the How Will I Die podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Twitter at HWIDIEPOD. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to We're Watching Here! We're Watching Here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams with me. Perry? Perry! Stop watching that bag and please get in here right now. It's it's all the beauty in the world, Chris. He's been saying this for like two hours. It's It's all the beauty in the world. (sighs) Don't know what we're going to do with this. It's so beautiful, I want to (laughs) cry. We are talking Sam Mendes' 1999 Oscar winner, American Beauty, this week. But first off, Perry, what have you been watching? What have I been watching, Chris? You know, this is not, uh, this was not current at the time we, we, uh, recorded this. It's about a month old, but it's a film that came and disappeared that, uh, I actually liked. Oh, wow. And, and think got overlooked and dismissed for all the reasons you might expect. And I think I know what you're gonna say. Do you? We might dig in on this. You wanna guess? I, it, uh, is it, uh, Where'd You Go Bernadette? It is not. Oh, okay. Cause I knew Even you rare. That. I did like Where'd You Go okay. Bernadette. But no, I actually want to give a shout out to The Kitchen. Oh. I thought The Kitchen was really sharp, way fun. It does all of the things that we, uh, we kind of expect it to do, but doesn't forefront it. Okay. It's really not a, f- I mean, it's, it's a feminist film because it's about women. But it is not a, it, it's not a political polemic at all. Okay. It is a gleefully amoral crime story. <laughs> like, none of these people are likable. None of these are good people. They are gangsters. <laughs> and they are learning to be gangsters it's through Elizabeth and through. Elizabeth Moss, right? Elizabeth yeah, Moss doing the best Jodie Foster impression you've seen in quite some time. She actually gets, uh, I will remember her at the end of the year. I think it was Movie Line. I forget which movie magazine used to do this thing at the, uh, at the end of the year. They wouldn't do a best of the year list. They would do this big, like, six-page spread called Moments Out of Time. Okay, yeah, They would just yeah. critics for shots or moments that have burned in their memory from the last year. That started on Ebert's blog with uh, his editor put that together. Oh, did he really? Yeah, yeah. Jim Emerson used to put that together. Excellent. I love that. He uh, and, and for me, it will be Elizabeth Moss's delivery of the line uh, after they've, they're talking about, uh, what do you wait or something like that? You get dressed up? Just, I don't, I can't explain it. It just, she <laughs> delivers it. It's so New York. It's so perfect. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is her and Tiffany Haddish and Melissa McCarthy. It's an adaptation of a graphic novel. Okay. Uh, and it is, uh, like I said, it's just gleefully amoral. Like, <laughs> it, not even gleefully. That's not even the right tone. It is resolutely amoral. Okay. Resolutely amoral. It, um, it's a crime film. It's a straight-up crime film, and it's a crime film that doesn't have any obvious antecedents other than to say, well, it's obviously a crime film. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to be the Godfather. It's not trying to be Heat. It just is this thing. I'm not saying it's perfect. <laughs> I'm not saying it's the greatest film you'll ever see. What I'm saying is, take a flyer on this. This was creative and a, a really original, a lot of fun, written and directed by uh, the woman who got nominated for an Oscar for writing straight out of Compton. Okay, wow. Uh, the na- you know, I can pull it up. It's an it. intriguing, it's an intriguing film. I'm happy it got made. I'm happy it was in theaters. I wish more people had seen it. And that director's name is Andrea Burloff. Andrea Burloff, that's right. Uh, Andrea Burloff. I'll have to check that out. There are few things that bring me more joy than a just really fun genre movie. I, I love a good crime movie or something. It it's very That's what this is. It's solid. And like I said, it is not like <laughs> You are you are not supposed to like these people. Okay. It is it is I, I love how I again this sounds I, this is, sounds incredibly strange to say. I really love how amoral it is. It is 
this is a crime story. This is not some sort of, you know, this yeah. is not sort of some sort of, the, uh, it, you know, it's marketed as a, the women pull the it's table on the men in charge. It's not Hustlers, okay. which I have seen and I liked it a lot better than Hustlers. And not that I dislike Hustlers, but this is a much stronger movie than uh-huh. Hustlers to me. Hustlers is, Hustlers congratulates its audience a whole lot. Okay. <laughs> and the kitchen doesn't. Okay. I will have to check that out when it comes out. Um, I think you're the one critic I've read who's liked it. Uh, I know, I know, and, I'm alone in this, and, and that's that's great. I love I, I love hearing those uh, the other views. Um, but I want to check that out. I, I trust your opinion on those. Um, I am starting to make my way through films I have missed earlier this year. Uh, you and I are both part of the Detroit Film Critics Society, Indeed. so we're going to start getting our ballots and stuff together in the coming months. So I'm trying to catch up on the stuff I might have missed earlier in the year. So I finally got around to uh, The Farewell a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. I saw. And um, I, I will just say, this is a movie that when I heard about it, I really didn't have much interest in seeing. Um, if only because I thought it was either going to be a very depressing movie about death, or one of those quirky comedies that was just kind of forcing its laughs the whole time. Uh-huh. Um, the presence of Aquafina did not really fill me much much confidence. <laughs> but I kept, it, it, and honestly, because the only things I associate with her with are kind of broader comedies, um, and I, I really haven't seen a lot of what she's done. And she's named Aquafina, and <laughs> and, and I, that's horrible of me. But it's it's really kind of I didn't associate that with anything that might hold my interest, but. I heard so much good about it that I went out to go see it, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I loved it. Um, it, it it really hits that line of finding kind of the hu- the humor in family dynamics, but with I, it never feels broad. It never feels sitcommy to me. Um, but it's really just a celebration of grandmas, and both of my grandmothers died last year. So I could not watch this movie without thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And it really, it, it it made me sad, but not depressed. Um, I really think the way it, it plays with the culture and the dynamics in that family and, you know, kind of the, the tensions between being a, you know, someone who's Chinese born in the United States, but then returning to China. And then you have other family members who have stayed there. The resentments that kind of occur in there. The conflicts, but then the way family can navigate those and still remain intact. I, I really enjoyed this movie. And the final, the final moment of the movie actually made me gasp in the theater. Um, the, the final title card of the movie. Uh, just, yeah. Just kind of, it, it hit me in a way that sent me out with a smile when I thought the movie was going to send me out in tears. So, um, uh, I, I want to continue this, but I feel to do so would have to, Spoilers? It would spoil that last title card. Uh, so, um, we could, we could, uh, we'll do it afterwards. We'll do it afterwards. We'll do it afterwards. Uh, maybe we'll do like a short 10 minute bonus episode or something. Sounds good. Um, but yeah, so that's the farewell. I think you might be able to find it in a few second room theaters right now, uh, which means I would imagine it hits digital and stuff fairly shortly. Um, I think they're gonna probably want to get this out to people before the award season. So. Yeah, I love how it, it is the only it's one of the few films I can think of off the top of my head, and quite frankly, this moment, the only one I can think of off the top of my head, that really captures that, it captures that feeling of being part of a culture and being away from that culture. Yes, yes. In a really spectacular way. Like, that is, that is a much more grounded in just everyday life understanding of what it means to mm-hmm. be an immigrant <laughs> yeah. Than anything else, it is a story of it is an immigrant story without being at all political. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In any way, it is just this is your reality. This is you. You have this connection to this culture that you're not a part of anymore. Yet you're still of it, while and, at the same time not really fully able to embrace the new culture because you still respect the old culture, but you don't want to respect the old culture because you want to be part of the new culture, which you can't be part of because you're still associated with the old culture and back and forth and back and forth. I, I think the other thing it does really well, and I love it. Um, I, it's one of those movies where it's so specific that it becomes universal. Yes. And, you know, this is yes. a family that looks nothing like mine. Their traditions are nothing like mine. 
But I can see them mirroring my family's own traditions and our own dynamics. And it just, yeah, it was a movie that left me feeling, I don't want to say it left me feeling good. Um, oh, it, yeah. It made me oh, it feel, does. It, it, it made me feel grateful for seeing it. And I think that that's a that's a that's <laughs> a feeling I don't get much from movies these days. I get I, I enjoyed it, but I was really thankful to see it. Um, it, it was a really uh, yeah, it was a, it was an emotional experience for me. And I, I do want to shout out since since we as I I, I don't uh, I don't disagree with you on Aquafina. She's very she good. Is, in she it. is really good. she's yes. very good. Yes, in I want so to say I, that I, too. yes. Um, and Lulu <laughs> Full Wang, praise. Uh, Lulu Wang. I mean, this is her. This is based on her own experiences. And I think I know what you're saying with the end. It kind of recontextualizes maybe some of the motives for doing it. No, there's something else uh, that we need to talk about that that you will... If you listened to her Fresh Air interview, Lulu Wang's, you found out something that's like, okay, well, this is actually even more interesting than the movie you made. Okay, we, we'll definitely talk we'll about that. Which will cover yeah. this later, folks, in the spoiler zone. Yes, yes. But today... We are going to talk about another family movie. Um, another family movie, not an immigrant movie, a, a very American family uh, in 1999's American Beauty. Uh, this is actually going to be the first of uh, kind of a two-part double feature of 1999 movies for us. Uh, we did a full 1999 episode way back when we started this podcast, but I think... American Beauty and Fight Club got name-checked, but we didn't really have them on our list or discuss them too much. Um, so we're discussing American Beauty this week, Fight Club next week, or in two weeks, and uh, we're going to start with the Oscar winner, American Beauty, which uh, just celebrated its 20th anniversary in September. Um, Indeed. Now, American Beauty, it was a sensation at the time, uh, even in a very crowded movie year of 1999. Uh, the story of Lester Burnham, played by Kevin Spacey, in his midlife crisis, which is jump-started when he meets his daughter's teenage friend, was a sensation at the Toronto Film Festival, and became a box office hit that brought in $130 million domestic, which today would be kind of unheard of for an adult drama about suburban angst and ennui. From a first-time director. From a first-time director, yeah. yeah. Uh, it jump-started Sam Mendes' cinematic career. Uh, he went on to direct a number of acclaimed films and then moved on into the James Bond franchise. That won the Oscars for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Cinematography. It was nominated for several more. And so, obviously, it's a beloved hit that everyone agrees on. It's in the Pantheon. It is a celebrated classic. <laughs> Which is not true. Uh, the reputation's kind of changed in 20 years. Oh, it, not 20. Uh, did, I have did never... It right after? This is, this is the film... This was the first time in my cognizant, aware, movie-going lifetime I have seen the, the reception of a film turn okay. this quickly. Okay. I'm, I'm... And I'm... We'll get into this. But I am... I, am, I was surprised that it could happen with such speed. Okay. <laughs> and, and we'll definitely... That's definitely going to come up. Um, it, you know, I think right now, if you look for a list of, you know, quote unquote, worst Oscar winners or most overrated films, American Beauty tends to show up on a lot of those lists. Uh, when the allegations against Kevin Spacey came out a few years ago, this movie seemed to be one that was a victim of, uh, quote, cancel culture. Um, so I, I want to, I want us to keep that context in mind that its reputation is definitely different now than when it was released. But before we do that, if you can flash back to 1999, yeah. what was your reaction when you saw this? I remember the poster. I remember seeing the poster, uh, you know, a month or so before it came out in the theater. In the theater, where I ended up seeing mm. the movie. It was the uh, what was uh, the Showcase Theater in Ann Arbor at the time. Oh yeah, uh, and thinking, okay, that's a really interesting. <laughs> That's an interesting poster. Do you know the story of that poster? Uh, if it's the same one that just came out about a, the, less than a month ago. Wait, Christina Hendricks? Yes, Hendricks the, the Hand. hand. Yeah. Yes. Uh, this is... Uh, and when I saw it, uh, I liked it a ton. And it's... Uh, I, I At the time, I remember thinking it's full of really good performances. And uh, it's beautifully shot. And I think that those two things still hold true to this day. Okay. I'm kind of in the same boat with you on that. Um, I really, and this was, uh, when we talked in our 1999, I, that was the year I started to really love film. That was okay. the year I started to become obsessed with it. And I remember, like, that was the year it was continually The Matrix. It was, um, you know, Three Kings was that year. Being John Malkovich was that year. 
And I remember starting to read about American Beauty, I think, when it debuted in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And suddenly this was a film no one was talking about. Suddenly everyone was talking about it. It had Steven Spielberg's name. You know, he was behind DreamWorks and he was a real champion of this. He was yes. originally thinking about directing it. Um, which, I, I, I mean, the stories about who almost ended up in this movie are fascinating. Yes. Um, but I remember one night sitting online talking to a friend on Instant Messenger and she had actually gone to see uh, a preview screening of this. She had like won tickets for a radio contest or something. And she came in just raving like she had never seen a movie like this before. It was so profound. It moved her. I needed to keep this movie in mind. Um, so when it came out, I went and saw it pretty early. I don't know if it was opening weekend, but it was close. Uh, it was getting great reviews. Uh, the context at that time was I was starting to try riskier movies, but the big hang up for me because of the culture I was coming from was movies that dealt with sex, which this movie deals with quite a bit. Um, kind of. In a way. Um, kind of. And it was a movie that at that time shocked me. Like, you know, <laughs> within five minutes, the main character's masturbating in a shower. Yes. I hadn't really seen that in a movie before. Uh, I was it's really... all downhill from here. <laughs> I, I hadn't, I really hadn't seen a movie that felt, like at the time it felt very edgy, you know? And I, I mean, plot wise, the story's still a little, you, you know, it, Yes. A little gross. Uh, it is It is a purposefully provocative film. Yes. Still to this day. Yes. But at the same time, I remember feeling like he, it really hit some of the th- same things Matrix hit with me, which was <laughs> kind of, it, it delves into this idea that we are dissatisfied with something about the way our culture is, something about the way our world is. And it really, it's a movie that deals a lot with that. You know, we are disaffected and kind of asleep in our, you know, in our routines in our lives. And so that really shook me. I hadn't seen a movie like that. Uh, and I think if you had asked me at that point, it was my favorite film of the year at that point. Um, I was a big champion when it won the, the Oscar. Um, I bought it when it came out. I watched it a few times. And then I had not seen it in eight, 19 years would be generous. Uh, it has been out for 20 years, so I, I probably hadn't seen it for 19 years until I watched it about a month ago uh, to write about it for Michigan Sports and Entertainment. And I don't think that it's uh, its bad reputation is necessarily earned. I think there is a lot in this movie that I still really like, and a lot that I think is even more resonant today. I think it also is a movie that strikes me different as a 40-year-old man than a 20-year-old man. Yes, when you're closer to Kevin Spacey than to Wes Bentley in the film, it matters. And I think its flaws are much more apparent 20 years later. I don't... I, I would not put it on my list of the... Yeah, as the top film of 1999 anymore. But let's... It is always... Okay, so this is going to get into a larger philosophical point mm-hmm. that I figured we'd end up with. With uh, both this, and I'm sure we'll touch on this again in the Fight Club episode. Yeah, yeah. And this is the concept of... Uh, I, I don't like the concept of the film didn't hold up. I don't... I, well, there's I something don't, about this I don't... Lo- no, no, I'm not saying sure. you're saying it. I'm saying in general. When yeah. someone says that to me, what I think is, you're then you're not doing enough self-analysis. Yes. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you changed. I think... The movie didn't. It's not that the movie didn't hold up. Although, I, there are things in Fight Club that have aged, which we'll talk about in Fight Club, yes. that are just... Part of the changing of time, I think, is it, it, it's it's really gets into that critic answer of why do you think you like this the better movies than anyone else's? I've watched more. I've grown up. I've I've learned to see. I've learned to identify what some flaws are that might have been there. But my response to it is also going to change. I'm not as swayed by an emotional response. Sure. And also, it's it's not only that. It's also well, hold up. It doesn't. It's a, it's a, it's a, it may no longer seem timely. It may no longer seem like a relevant part of the cultural conversation, but there wasn't a film like this in 1999. This was different. Yeah. (laughs) This stands out in that crowd for a variety of reasons. Not just because it's a first time director, not just because I'm pretty sure it was Alan Ball's first produced screenplay. Uh, you know, (laughs) not just because 
you had, like we were talking about, it was an amazing year. It was just a year in which movies really mattered mm-hmm. in the culture. And so this one came along and felt more mainstreamish than a lot of those films from 1999 that yeah. we talk about and love. So here was a chance to hop on, oh, here's a film that's aimed at the mainstream, but is still really trying for something different and new that doesn't feel as different and new. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> Even five years later, the culture caught up to this movie fairly quickly. And all those other films that seemed, oh, these are way too avant-garde and weird. You know, you had, you, DVDs were taken off by that time. So everybody got a chance to see those movies and investigate them right away and could easily say, oh, American Beauty is overrated. I remember my top ten, I remember my top three at the end of that year and I had American Beauty third. Okay. <laughs> That's how much I liked it at the yeah. time. No, it would not be there now. That's that's precious. Of course, of course. But I, also, I, 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 I distrust people who say this is a terrible movie. I, I think, <laughs> quite frankly, I want to talk about what works first, and I want to start with the theme um, because I know I talk to a lot of people who are like, "Oh, really? You couldn't make that movie today about a forty-year-old man wanting to sleep with a sixteen-year-old girl?" I'm like, "Well, maybe you couldn't get it made, but." First off, that story, that's not what the movie is necessarily about. It's, exactly. it's a thread. But first off, you don't think maybe that story is a little relevant today? There's, there, I mean, look at who the star of this movie is. Is it about? It is about a grown man abusing his power with someone younger than him. And look at our culture right now. But I think, and, and let's be fair. Let's, let's be real clear. It is not that. It is a movie about... Um, it, it, he doesn't though, and he doesn't really try to, and doesn't want to. He, well, he thinks that, he wants to. Yes, he doesn't. This, this, the, the, <laughs> here's what I came away right. from when I watched it. I, I want to get to the ending later because that is one of the things where I have some issues. Um, okay, but the thing that really struck me when I watched it this time, this I, this is a movie about our social media life. Before social media yes. was a thing. This is a movie in which every single character in this movie is terrified of being found out as being average or mediocre or ordinary is the one they keep coming back to. And so they are constructing these lives yes. that look the way they want them to look. So you have Lester trying to recapture his youth, which, I mean, you look around at male culture today and nostalgia and how much of a drug that is, that is that is a timeless thing with American men. All probably non-American men too, trying to recapture your youth. Yes. So you have Carolyn, his wife, who he talks about in the first scene. She has her pruning shears matching her gloves, which is a funny little detail. <laughs> until if you visit Instagram, I guarantee every influencer on Instagram is making sure everything is coordinated. Absolutely. You have the hard-ass neighbor next door who is trying to cover up things he feels that he is ashamed of by projecting this hard, masculine image. And you have Angela, who is projecting... You know, she doesn't want to be seen as ordinary, so she's presenting this sexually knowledgeable front. And everyone is playing a role, and everyone is obsessed with their image. And that has not changed. That's only gotten worse in 20 years. And so that that's the thing that hit me with this movie. Interesting. Was it feels very much like this is a thing that does not change. This is maybe maybe it's a American germ that's coming through. Um but I still found that very resonant thematically. Um what else did you find positive? I have a lot more positive on this. Uh but what else what what struck you? Um what struck me early on and I will admit I hadn't I hadn't seen it I've probably seen it more recently than you have but easily over 10 years. Okay. If not 12 15. I I I I watched it a few times after in the years since it came out. So uh but I was there's stuff I'd forgotten. Okay. There, there were surprises to me not just about how I responded to it, but just oh I forgotten that scene. Oh I forgotten that scene. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what happens in this scene. Oh yeah, okay that's this. Scene. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I was, like, I was surprised to find I still had it mostly memorized. So oh, that interesting. Just, that speaks to how much I must have watched it when it first came out. Yeah, I get that. Um, what I was struck by is uh, uh, the. Okay, so do you know? And again, I wouldn't have. I didn't know this in 1999, but I know it now. Do you know the story of how much this story changed? I know it, the uh, if you, you talk about the thing at the beginning where she's talking about getting. Yeah. 
uh, oh gosh, what is you Wes's my character kid. name? Yeah. But, Wow. Ricky, 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 Ricky. She's she's asking, you know, kind of Ricky, will you, will you kill my father? Which is revealed to be a different context later in the movie. But that was going yes. to frame a uh, there was going to be a framing device where they were framed for his murder. Yes, which I'm so glad they did not run with that. Right. So for me, the only overarching flaw for me in the movie, and flaw is too harsh a word, let's call it the weak link. Okay, <laughs> is Alan Ball. <laughs> Who has revealed exactly what kind of writer he is throughout Six Feet Under and through, uh, True Blood. He's, he, he would rather have a grand moment. Yeah. <laughs> than do the heavy work of creating a really yes. difficult three-dimensional character. And so, for me, what you find out watching this movie again is, it's, it's the screenplay that is the weak link. Not that it's bad. Mm-hmm. Not that it submarines the movie. But it is, the it is the great accomplishment for me was watching Sam Mendes figure out how to let each of the actors run with these grand moments without ever making it seem like it was a grandstanding moment for yeah. these characters. Like it's never quite a showy moment. It's not a showstopper moment for anybody. They are just great little avenues that all of these characters all these actors have a whole lot of fun in at their best the the female characters are weaker it, that's what came across to me this time okay. in ways i hadn't quite grokked in 1999 um especially in Benning's character she, that's she's mercilessly treated through the movie <laughs> i think and, and i think i said this in my review and i would agree with you about ball screenplay like they're doing work that's not on the paper um I, I think Annette Benning's performance is fantastic. I really like her. It's in fully committed. But she is bringing a level of humanity there that they don't give her in the story. Yeah. Um, she is, like, there is definitely something there where she is, I, I want to say almost, I don't want to say she's villainous, but she's the impediment to Lester, is how she's almost set up. Yes. And it reminds me of, were you a Breaking Bad fan? Uh, I I have seen all of Breaking Bad. Okay, um, <laughs> there was kind of a there was this sub movement that came out um, where how awful Skyler is, yeah, and how awful Skyler yes. is, and I really feel like that's almost the perspective of Carolyn in this. Uh, when I actually find Annette Benny's performance to be the strongest performance in the movie, the way you can see her straining to kind of hold the uh, hold that facade together. There's that scene. Where it, 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 it's a little little big moment uh, where she doesn't sell She has house. nothing but big moments. Yes. But you can, if you look at her, she's doing a lot of little work in that. Like oh, yeah. The way she's composing herself, you can see her just cracking. Like, as, as she realizes, she has this image of herself that she is not living up to. And I think that's a heartbreaking performance that there's not a lot on the page to humanize. I do believe that a lot of it has to do with, and it's, it gets into that interesting question of what does, what does the director intend, right? What does the director, I don't think, and again, we'll get into this next time with Fight Club in big ways. We'll talk about what, what, what are you trying to get across? What are you actually presenting this way? I don't think the film presents Lester as anything he's doing is heroic. I really don't. Be, but when we get this reaction from Benning, because the film is firmly from his point of view, mm-hmm. which makes the scenes without him interesting to talk about. Yeah. Like, if the film is so resolutely in, from his point of view, and it is, because it opens and ends with... It, well, okay, it opens with the video shot, but it opens and ends practically on his voiceover. Yes. Okay. So then... <laughs> That's why Annette Benning is that way. Through, you know, that's we, that is how Lester is perceiving her. So I can, I don't want to say that it's wrong. It's thin. She could have more. They could have given more, but sure. Lester is unable of seeing her than more this way. Okay. I'll now, <laughs> granted, this is a very fine line. I'm not saying this is right or wrong, um, that I am right or wrong, nor am I saying that I know this is sure what he intended. That scene when they almost have sex, and, oh my and he almost spills beer on the couch is really interesting. <laughs> I think and it's a fascinating, heartbreaking scene. I, he, the idea that 
what they need is human connection, just drop the facade and kind of rekindle. And then it's taken away by almost spilling beer on the couch. But as you're saying, I mean, but is yes, that what happened? You are buying into his yes. point of view of the scene, which is how the movie's constructed. If you take that from her point of view, where'd she just come from? She was just, was she just screwing the end? Yes! Well, and yes, and then... Now she got watch. exactly what she needed, yes, according okay. in her own words. So she doesn't really want to have sex okay. with him anymore. That is interesting. Okay. I, I think one of my <laughs> problems with this movie is Lester as the main character. That's interesting. Um, yes. I, I, because I think, first of all, I don't think the movie sees him as a hero. I think the movie kind of acknowledges that all the adults in the movie... Are kind of assholes who are uh, there, there's a scene that really I, I, it was the first time I had noticed this Annette Benning's character is listening to this uh, self-help tape in the yes and there's a phrase they use it's like the, se- the, the secret to me-centric living yes which is what every adult <laughs> in this movie is doing yes is pursuing <laughs> their own desires their own wants to the exclusion of everyone they're isolating themselves more and I think it's interesting that the kids are the ones who kind of get screwed up as a result of that my problem is not so much with the movie looking at Lester as a hero I feel like there's a miscalculation on Kevin Spacey's part where he makes him it, I, there. there is something we are supposed to laugh at him and sometimes I think laugh with him oh. is the problem the problem i'm okay laughing at him it's when i'm supposed to find him sitting on the couch saying i rule as a heroic moment which i did 20 years ago like oh he's just doing what he wants he's just and now i look at it i'm like no what an asshole oh except that see and now we're gonna uh, now i want to get back to the ending because i'm interested when you said you have problems with the ending the ending for me is where i I was able to drop all the things. I was like, wow, is this really like markedly not as good as I remember it? And the end for me actually totally plays. Okay. Well, how does the ending work for you? That because Spacey is so good moment to moment in this movie mm-hmm. that yes, you do laugh at all of the times he's being an incredible snarky asshole. And you're supposed to. You're supposed to laugh at the scene where he serves them through the drive through. There's no other person I've seen other than you're supposed to laugh at Kevin Spacey knowing how awful his wife is in this movie. Okay. That is the point of that scene. Okay. <laughs> he plays that ending moment of realizing how far he's gone and that he has gone too far and that he has done some genuine, I don't want to say damage, but at least disservice to his wife and to his daughter before he dies. He plays that scene just as well, just as powerfully, just as in the moment for me. I was like, oh, that's why he gets, that's why you get away. If you don't bring the baggage that Kevin Spacey brings now, if you just had it 20 years ago, that's why this performance works really well. We are way hung up on, because of what we know about him, (laughs) with the stuff his character does in this movie. And we don't want to, we don't want to think of it as just being an actor because he plays that last scene, that last moment just as well as all of those others. And for me, I was just as moved by it. The voiceover itself is ridiculous. As we've agreed, Alan Ball's the weak link here. I don't need to be told, oh, you'll find out soon enough. (laughs) That's stupid. (laughs) The moment, the look on his face when he realizes, oh, this is wrong and bad. And then the genuine moment coming to terms with the picture right before he's shot is really good. (laughs) It's good acting to me. I, I, I don't deny that he's good. I do think there are, I, I would have probably preferred a little more laugh at Esther, not Esther, <laughs> laugh at Lester, laugh, instead of laughing with Lester. Um, and that might just be me. That might just be me coming from a different perspective on this movie. But where the ending doesn't work for me, and I think it comes to, I just want a little something else from that screenplay. I, I think the way, Me- and we do need to talk about Mendy, so I think it's fantastic out of the gate here. The way he films that final sequence is very jarring because I remember in the theater being shocked that, and I'm sure Amina Savari was over 18 when it happened, but I remember being shocked like, oh, there's nudity in this sequence. I didn't think they would do that with a teenage girl. But it's bracing because you haven't seen that the whole movie. They've strategically covered her in his fantasies, and there's this kind of bracing reality. Her, but not Thora Birch. Right, not not Thora Birch. (laughs) Uh, But... But if we're talking about Lester's fantasies, he's yes. always had this 
fantasy. She's covered in flowers. She's beautiful. And then it's this scared, naked girl on his couch. And I think that sells the transgression of the moment. Yes. And, and that does. My problem is, and maybe this is something that we didn't realize the movie needed 20 years ago. I might have appreciated the reaction at that point reads to me, Lester is kind of shocked out of it, realizes that's not what he wants. Well, he, you know, he instantly starts talking about his daughter after that. Yes. Which I think is is interesting. But the reaction toward Angela is, oh, you did nothing wrong. But I don't, I don't feel that guilt from him. I feel it's suddenly, oh, no, this is what I want over here, my family. I don't feel the guilt. And I don't feel there is... A moment where he's like, oh, shit, I'm screwed up. I probably need therapy or I need to go talk to my daughter right now. It's almost like, oh, it's almost like, oh, I kind of got shocked out of this. Now I'm a good dad. And that's why I feel in and the fact that he gets shot lets him almost be a martyr. It lets him have a tragic ending instead of a comeuppance or a judgment or anything like that. It allows... It allows us to feel bad for Lester instead of feeling unsettled by how far he almost went. And I feel it's just a little something the screenplay could have given. And, I mean, Spacey has to play with what he is, and I'm sure there's a lot of baggage from who, you know, the allegations that I read into his performance. But at the same point, I I do feel the movie never knows how to go from making the joke about, ah, he's he's gonna sleep with the teenager... To say, this was wrong, this is screwed up, and this is a man who needs help. It's almost like realizing doing realizing this is wrong suddenly writes him all of a sudden, and then he can have the death that sets him up. And, and, and that's my reading, but... I guess I don't think of him as a martyr. I guess I don't give it that level of, 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 of import. Uh, for me, it is the closed circle of the story. If it's, it's the story of a man who's lost his way, at the end he's found his way. So he can die. I mean, it just, it just dramatically, sure? it, it just, it, in the way that Mendes would approach Othello, it's, 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 that's what it is. I don't, I guess I read no extra, imp- and again, I'm, I'm agreeing the last line yeah. of the film, the last line of the voiceover is ridiculous. It's awful. It shouldn't be there. It, it, it is unnecessary. It plays into what you're saying. In a way that he has, he has gained some knowledge that we're not allowed to have until yeah. we're about to die is utter bullshit. And it's but, <laughs> I think the weird thing for me, and looking back at it again, and maybe the reason I wanted more is Lester's kind of, I don't think he's responsible for everyone else doing their own weird things throughout the whole movie, but he's kind of the catalyst that sets everyone off. So he's, it's his behavior that frustrates Carolyn enough where she, you know, her her career, everything falls down there, so she embarks on this affair. Uh, it's his behavior with Ricky that sets the next door neighbor off. And they all end the movie in a place of where they don't have, like their lives are pretty much ruined at that point. She's shaken. She's dropping off the gun. She's, you know, just in tears. Uh, the Colonel Fitz is hit, murdered a guy and they all end with no peace, but he gets to end with peace. And I think that maybe that's just my sense of like a, a sense of interesting justice on that part. I just, I feel like it doesn't, it doesn't quite end Lester's story properly. I, I, and it might be a nuanced thing. Interesting. I'm. I guess the only, that's 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 a compelling argument that it is everybody else is utterly bereft and distraught at the end of this, and he gets away with a moment of peace. Yeah, I, that's interesting. I guess then my argument would be. And again, this is a nice circle into the future when we talk about Fight Club. Mm-hmm. The argument then would be uh, that, as we've said, the film is from Lester's point of view. So it doesn't much matter. Right. And then, if that's the case, then what is Mendy's intention? If the intention is, even in a, his moment of realization, he's just as selfish as he's ever was that's and as everybody else. I was just thinking that. I would then, that la- I could then argue that it goes a layer deeper uh, than, than, than maybe we're giving it credit for. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe they're just trying to salvage an ending from a screen, a written ending that they knew they couldn't fill well, in. Really, I, I think they might have just landed here because, uh, okay, this feels like an ending. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. And, and, and I think as we talk about that's the thing that reveals is I don't, I just don't know if Ball's screenplay has the strength to hold all that up that maybe I'm expecting from it. That it it is a weak screenplay in some parts. 
that yes. is really elevated by we haven't really talked about Sam Mendes. I think he's fantastic. And I, I think he he finds a way to even do heavy lifting that the screenplay doesn't do. Uh, the idea of everyone putting on a performance. Yes. If you look at those dinner sequences, and, and Mendes came from theater. If you look at the way he frames the sequences of them having dinner, <laughs> it is like what you would see from a stage. Yes. It, it is There's very much... march and everything, yes. Yep. There is... They are having dinner and putting on a show for each other. Yes. And, and I, I love that. I love... The cinematography is just gorgeous. Conrad Hall is is was a god and taught Mendes everything he knows. <laughs> but I also I and I love the way they uh, when, when Ricky talks about the most beautiful things he's seen, or uh, you know, you're seeing things through his camera lens, which are I guess what are also supposed to be the most beautiful things he sees. He, they don't go for gorgeous cinematography in those moments. It's, no, it's ugly it's digital big, high yeah. eight. Yeah, and, and I think that's fascinating too. It's it's real in a way, or it, it's kind of communicating. That's I don't know. It, it's what you would identify with a home movie and not a movie. Well, it's a nod to Soderbergh. Yeah, it's a nod to okay. Sexualizing okay. Videotape. Okay. I, I, absolutely, I can see it no other way. <laughs> and that just made me me. I don't know that Mendes ever saw the film. I gotta believe he did. Oh. I got the film is too close in some other ways to sexualize a videotape for, for, for me not to believe. Okay. A little casting Peter Gallagher alone should be enough of a hint that, that maybe, quite possibly, Mendes really liked sexualized a videotape um, and wants to go there with it. I didn't plan to talk about this. I love Peter Gallagher in this. Me I too. love how oily and just crazy. I love Peter Gallagher in everything. He's he's so good. Um oh who was the other person? Allison Janney, who twenty years ago I didn't know who Allison Janney was because I wasn't even a West Wing watcher. <laughs> Watching this with an idea of who she is and what she's capable of and seeing her stripped of all that charisma <laughs> really was like powerful. Yes, yes, that was really powerful to me. Um, I was surprised going back to it uh, because he infamously disappeared. Wes Bentley's really good here. Wes Bentley's really good in this. <laughs> he gets let down by the screenplay on occasion. But he's very good. I know there were a lot of people who laughed at the, uh, you know, the scene we had fun with at the beginning. Yes. People it's a, it's a terribly that. written speech. But he sells it. He's very good. He's as good as that moment could play. And I think he has this hard role because he is the one person who's not really putting on an act. Yeah, he, Ricky's, Ricky's oh, the guy who's a little... Like, no, he is putting on he an act. He is. He's the only character for whom we are supposed to genuinely sympathize and he okay. needs to put on an act. That's the big but difference, he, and that's where ball screenplay is really faulty, truth be told. Maybe that's where I see him is maybe he's the one who I feel is only comfortable in his skin. And I, I, I don't know, but I really like, I like Wes Bentley in this, and I like it when I see him pop up in things like uh, The Hunger Games. You've never seen The Proposal, the Michael Winterbottom Western? He's fantastic I seen that. in that. He's fantastic um, in that. I always feel kind of bad that, uh, you know, he gets to play... Uh, not quite Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible <laughs> Fallout. <laughs> you ever see the documentary about him? No, I didn't. So there's a documentary made. I'm blanking on the name of it, but it, he was living with like four other young actors. They were all friends. Okay. And a f one of them was filming like their lives together. And then he got, he gets American Beauty. Oh, really? And it turns into this portrait of, well, what happens when one of them takes off? One of them gets their big break. And it's this really interesting, very personal portrait of, friendships that are heavily stressed by this it's 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 an odd thing it's it's it, i don't know if it's even readily available anymore it's 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 interesting it's it's of note fascinating um but yeah the the scene where and again it is yes it is it is very dangerous to talk about kevin spacey's charm i understand that i can't help it he's an incredibly gifted actor yeah. he is a charming actor you want to watch him the scene when he smokes with, with yeah. ricky outside <laughs> of the catering gig and kenny quits right in front of him. jesus i think you're my hero <laughs> that both of them are excellent in that moment in that scene and it it just it draws you in. It makes you like the characters. And that is the work the actors are doing throughout this movie. They make you like characters, which are... The movie might be better were they a little less likable. <laughs> I, I, yeah. But I, they are. I, I think Kevin Spacey is very charismatic in this. Um, I think he brings... Like, he's an actor who can... He's kind of shorthand for snark sometimes. 
Um, which might be a lot due to this, but probably more about swimming with sharks, things like that. But I, I think that's kind of your key into this movie. That's what he is. It's, it's your key. He needs someone who's already jaded with this world. He's, he's asleep. He's well aware that he is kind of pathetic and his life is not what he thought it would be. So he, you know, I, I think when he's talking to his boss at the beginning, he's like, hey, Lester, you got me? He's like, for you, Brad? I got five. And he just, five. the, the contempt dripping yes. from that. I know they wanted Tom Hanks for this role. Tom Hanks does not drip with contempt. Uh, I, I, I think it would be a much, a, a kind of interesting movie with Tom Hanks, just subverting that image that we have of him. I don't know that he could have navigated this as I'm well. I'm trying to picture Tom Hanks in 99, where we are in 99. So uh, that's just two years removed from, from, uh, Private Ryan. Yeah. He's in America's Dad Point at that point. He, I mean, cause he's done. Is You've Got Mail 99? 2000? Uh, it was just 99, you've got yeah, mail? So around that point. See, yeah, he's too, still too boyish to me. I, I wouldn't, I can't. Um, he doesn't seem 40 yet. And the, <laughs> I know the other choice. The other choice for He just this, doesn't. He doesn't seem no, 40 yet. No. And, and and I don't I don't see Tom Hanks jerking off in the shower, but I, I don't see I don't see this story in Tom Hanks, and there's probably a reason why he didn't do the movie. Um but <laughs> and cooler heads prevailed. Yeah, I know Chevy Chase was the other one they they wanted for this. Oh, that lasted a second and a half. There's no way that was really a consideration. And you couldn't have Chevy Chase because he's all acid. He, he I, I'd never see Chevy Chase play sincere. Yeah, he couldn't have played the last scene. Yeah. So, I mean, Kevin Spacey is the middle ground there. And yeah, I mean, whatever allegations about it. And I think as an actor, he started to go downhill years ago too. But in this, I think this is... He navigates it very well, even if I think it might make him a tad too likable. But, you know, <laughs> that's him doing his job. And I, I like to, I think this cast stands up. I know you're a big Mendes fan. I'm a huge Mendes fan. And I will, I, and it's interesting. It's the film, it's one of the films that I would least want to go back for, for him at this point. I, I, I think it's a, and I am, if you ask me all things being equal, I like to see a first film from a director more than anything else. Okay. I think first films are invariably fascinating. They are, it is the first time you're hearing a new voice and I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Even if the film doesn't work, I want to know like that's, I just love first films. I have a huge, I am easy on them <laughs> because that's the biggest, that's the biggest sort of, uh, of, of, pre-thought I would go to a movie about it and say, okay, what has this director done before? Mm. And what am I expecting because of that? And so a first film, I don't have that. Have no I'm going in like a baby. Yeah. And I love that feeling. That is always exciting. And so, I, I you know, I wanted to see what he was going to do next. My least favorite Mendy's film is still his next one. I hate Road to Perdition. Okay. I Road to Perdition is a terrible movie. I, I, I think Road to Perdition is boring. I remember liking Paul Road to Perdition when I saw it. But again, that's we're talking pushing twenty years on that. <laughs> uh, I think it's been interesting to watch him revisit ideas of American families throughout his career because he did Revolution Road, Revolution which I I love and I'm alone in loving. Much now, like the kitchen, alone, I'm alone in loving. You're actually not alone in loving Revolution. I love Road. the kitchen. I do um, love Revolutionary Road. I like Revolutionary the Road. Yes, there was another movie about about the same time, like Revolution yes. Road or something. Yes, Revolutionary Road. You're not alone in loving because I remember being really moved by it um, and disturbed by it and never wanting to get married because I saw it. <laughs> but I, I like that. But I really like um, Away We Go. I love Away We Go. Which too. feels like nothing else he's ever done. I love Away We Go. But it is another revisit of American families. And I, I, I like Sam Mendes. He's a, he's a guy I tend to root for. Um, even if I'm... I like one of his James Bond films quite a bit. <laughs> I like both of his James Bond films. I like one more, but I like them both. <laughs> so... I guess in the end we're saying American Beauty's bad reputation might be a little unearned. It's, it is, it is a lot of cultural factors. Not the least of which being, it was an amazing movie year. I mean, it was, and I would say, let's, this is impossible to overstate the number of gargantuanly great movies that came out that mm -hmm. year. Any film would have seemed like a ridiculous pick. Honestly. And I can look at 1999, and I've been going through a lot of them this year for, uh, Stuff I've been writing on Michigan Sports Entertainment. 
I don't think it handles the idea of, you know, dissatisfaction with American life as well as maybe even The Matrix uh, or Fight Club even, which I think... I mean, there's almost a part of me that wanted to do American Beauty and Fight Club in one episode. I thought that's what we were doing, honestly. Um, we, we need three to pad out the time. But, uh, um, and I think they're both worth they're both worth devoting their own episodes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but I think those movies deal with it a little bit better. I think when you talk about kind of the weirdness uh, behind wholesome American lives... Election. Election might be my favorite movie of 1999. <laughs> I, the idea of taking on new personas. I mean, being John Malkovich. That's, yes. that, I mean, I don't think American Beauty would even be in the top five of my year if I relisted right now. It's probably true. But I do want to read. As well, yes. There is a book out right now by Brian Raff, uh, Brian Raftery, uh, called Best Movie Year Ever. And it is a study or is a look back at all the big films in 1999. Okay. And it's fantastic. But he closes uh, with talking about kind of the Oscars for that year and then the, the comparing it now to the changes uh, we've seen, especially with Kevin Spacey. And I, I thought this passage was really telling. It's really good to close on. Um, in early 2018, Spacey's American Beauty performance was even left out of an, of an Academy Awards montage celebrating Best Actor winners. By then, American Beauty had become a perpetual target for critics who questioned the film's best picture bona fides. How could a movie about a bored suburban creep win in a year of election and being John Malkovich? But the elements that made American Beauty seem so fantastical back in 1999 make it all the more relevant in 2019. It's its self-entitled pervert, its angry, screen-addicted teen, its fuming Nazi lover next door. <laughs> like many of the movies of that year, American Beauty plays like an accidental warning of what was to come. You had to look closer. <laughs> and I think that that sums up why I still think this movie is worth talking about. Um, I, I think it might not be the perfect object I thought it was 20 years ago. Um, but I think it still has a lot to say, and it says it well. Worst case scenario, it is a shallow film about shallowness. Yes. And there are pleasures to be had at the movies in, in celebrating exactly that. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end. Uh, I would love to know what you all think of it. So you can find us online at uh, Watching Cast on Twitter, or you can find our Facebook page. Uh, but Perry, where can people find you? You can find me at Facebook at Perry Seibert, at Twitter at Perry Loves Film. Chris, if I may be so bold, I don't talk about this often here. I don't think I ever have. But if you're interested, I actually run Film Club at the Ypsilanti Public Library. If you live in the Ypsilanti area or nearby, you do not have to be a member of the library. The second and fourth Tuesday of every month, we get together. On the second Tuesday, we watch a movie. On the fourth uh, Thursday, we get back together. Or fourth Tuesday, we get together and we talk about it. And whatever else that comes up based on that conversation. It's a, it's a really fun group. Uh, everyone is welcome. I would encourage you to drop by. Awesome. I would definitely second that. If you want to talk with anybody about film, you can't talk with a better person than Perry about that. <laughs> so, uh, I, I will, uh, I will give my thumbs up to that. Uh, you can find me online at Michigan Sports and Entertainment.com. I'm on Twitter at Mere Christianity. And you can listen to my other podcast, Wasting Time. It is a pop culture and life podcast we do every Wednesday. And we will see you in two weeks to talk about Fight Club. And if you don't know what we're talking about then, you will. <laughs>